you are now tuning in to Let's Be Honest with host Just Jonda. Hello, and welcome to Let's Be Honest with your host, Just Jonda. I know it's been a while, but we are catching up with a lot of great topics coming up. Today is a great one, and I hope you enjoy it. I apologize if the sound is a little weird because we were in different places, and as you'll find out, I was uh, recording remotely from my daughter's dance competition, but you're going to be hearing a recording from the an episode of Remixing Politics and Culture with Pam. I was invited on her show on Sunday, March 27th, live to talk with her and Professor Irving Joyner from the North Carolina Central University Law School regarding the confirmation hearings related to Judge Katanji Brown Jackson and the latest in the Jenny Thomas text message scandal because that's what it appears to be turning into and for those of you who don't know jenny thomas is the wife of longest serving supreme court justice or longest serving current supreme court justice clarence thomas so it is quite an interesting show and you're going to hear our viewpoint on how the confirmation hearings are going as or at least what our impressions were of how they went thus far as well as our concerns and commentary if you will as it relates to the jenny thomas matter so a few things before you listen as i said this was on sunday march 27th so it was after the first full week of confirmation hearings and so we really focused on the broader issues not getting down into the weeds about some of the questions they asked because as you will hear from both myself and professor joiner joiner we both agreed that there was a lot of dog whistle politics that was going on that really had little to do with judge katanji brown jackson and more so to do with just the overall direction of politics in this country and certainly in them realizing that there are places where this is very successful we certainly saw the success of the hype around critical race theory in Virginia with the election of our new governor here, I'm in Northern Virginia, and how that whole issue was used as an excuse to inflame people and basically allow for this continuation of open hostility and bigotry that has 
really become has really bubbled to the surface even more so um, over the past four to five years and then further as it relates to our discussion uh, regarding Jenny Thomas and Clarence Thomas we talk about uh, although not as much as I would have liked us to get into it because we ran out of time but we definitely talked about the fact that there are some things that the Supreme Court justices and even their spouses can get away with because the code of ethics that applies to every other lower court, including federal courts, does not apply in mass to them. So they have a lot more wiggle room when it comes to recusing themselves from matters that do not directly affect them, as in someone in your household uh, being involved in those matters, as opposed to um, on the lower levels, really adhering to the standard of avoiding the mere appearance of impropriety. And, um, and and I suspect, again, as it relates to the Jenny Thomas issue, we're going to get a lot deeper into that on my show, because, again, on that one, I think by the time we got to that topic, we only had about 20 to 25 minutes left. But there is a lot more to be discussed on that one. There's a lot of great articles that really break down the number of people that she has been involved with politically or have come through as clients of her lobbying firm or whatever she wants to call it um that have had matters that have sort of in a six degrees of separation but sometimes more like one or two degrees of separation have ended up in front of the Supreme Court and her husband has sat on those cases. In fact, the case that went before the court recently to even deal with whether or not these text messages were going to be produced specifically involving um, Meadows were uh, that went before the Supreme Court. Her husband didn't recuse himself. And in fact, what makes it even more glaring that we should be concerned is that there was only one dissent in that case, and that dissent was his. And of course, now, as we know, when those text messages got turned over, there were quite a few from her, 29, in fact, that have already been released going back to um, November of 2019 and leading right up and through the um, uh, the insurrection on January 6, 2020. So there again is a lot to talk about um, as it relates to these issues. And so I am now going to step back from giving you this intro and let you listen to this episode. I hope you enjoy it. And as always, please continue to follow me on all social media platforms so that you know what's going on. If you want to support the show, there are links for my book as well as Cash App and Venmo in the 
um, in the info box and all the ways that you can follow and stay in touch with me and in touch with the show. Bye-bye and stay tuned for the next part. There you are. Jonda? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can hear you now. Let me introduce you to our audience. Uh, Jonda Scott Adams is a native of Trenton, New Jersey. She's a criminal defense attorney. She received her law degree from George Washington University in Washington, DC. She has been practicing law for over 20 years. Jonda is an avid writer and is a blogger providing commentary on current events, politics, and pop culture. She is known by the YouTube community as Just Jonda, just meaning justice. She hosts a podcast called Let's Be Honest with Just Jonda. Welcome, Jonda. Hello, thank you for this lovely invitation, uh, Pam, and thank you for accommodating me because in addition to everything else, I am a very proud dance mom. So I am actually, the brick in the background is from a high school because I'm in the middle of, well, towards the end of dance competition weekend for my daughter. Okay. So <laughs> well, I appreciate you. Let yes. me uh, bring up, uh... Our second guest, who is making his uh, second debut here to the show, and that is none other than Professor Irving Joyner. Uh, he's a gentleman well known in the civil rights community. He is the he holds the endowed chair of the endowed Charles Hamilton Houston chair at North Carolina Central University School of Law. And I am so, so thrilled to, uh, to, to have him, to have both of you. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on tonight. This is a busy night with a lot of activities going on. And I realize you could be doing a million other things, but I'm so thankful for you, uh, you all agreeing to be on. Okay. So I'm gonna start with you, Jonda, and then I'm gonna to go to Professor Joyner with the same question. Tell me what your first thoughts were when you heard that Judge Jackson was the nominee for the US Supreme Court. Wow, notice the smile that immediately came to my face. Uh, Judge Jackson, just, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Judge Brown Jackson was among uh, several uh, very qualified individuals who were being considered. So her name had certainly been tossed around um, in, in the event this opportunity came to pass. So when it was announced that she was indeed the person, I was just thrilled. And, and sure, it's great to look at it from a historical perspective, but also um, as an African-American attorney to be able to celebrate one of many uh, incredible, accomplished uh, individuals, a sister in jurisprudence, if, uh, jurisprudence, if you will, that was just really, really exciting to me. Just another example of the incredible talent that we possess. And, and um, she's just another example of that. So just really exciting in that regard. 
wonderful. Professor Joyner, I can only imagine what it was like around the law, the law school at Central. Uh, because, well, we kind of we knew that um, that uh, President Biden had, was making good on his promise, but what was the reaction there at the law school? Well, at the uh, well, first of all, thank you for uh, having me on to uh, discuss these uh, topics uh, this evening. Mm -hmm. uh, very weighty and timely topics uh, for us to uh, discuss. Uh, I was highly impressed with the first of all with the process. Uh, that uh, President Biden uh, engaged in to come up with this nominee. Uh, he had before him uh, literally a long list of uh, individuals who could have been uh, elevated to the uh, highest court uh, in the land. Uh, and uh, I knew of uh, uh, Judge uh, Brown uh, Jackson uh, from some of her opinions uh, over the years and was uh, quite impressed with her uh, directness, uh, her uh, eloquence, uh, her ability to uh, explain in detail uh, exactly what her opinions were and their meaning uh, with respect to the facts that were presented uh, to her. So she was someone who was eminently uh, qualified for this uh, position. And the first thought that I had was that uh, she had better uh, credentials than uh, most of the people who were presently serving uh, right, on, the, uh, on the Supreme Court. Uh, right. So I, I was not uh, worried about the uh, credentials that, uh, that she brought, but I knew that she was in for a tough time, uh, that there were uh, distractors who were a part of the Judiciary Committee, who were a part of the uh, right-wing portion of the uh, political process on Capitol Hill, and that they would do everything in their power uh, to, uh, to make her look bad. And yeah. uh, so my initial concern was whether she was going to be able to handle the heat uh, that would uh, come uh, her way. And as I watched the hearings, uh, themselves, uh, I was uh, gratified that she was more than able uh, to handle the uh, tepid uh, heat uh, that was uh, thrown her way. And I just take pride also in, in, in knowing that uh, her father uh, was a uh, graduate of uh, North Carolina uh, College. It's now mm -hmm. North Carolina Central, but mm -hmm. at the time it was uh, North Carolina uh, college, so there was some connection, some eagle blood uh, flowing <laughs> through uh, her veins, and uh, so that uh, was enough to take her over the top mm -hmm. uh, with respect to uh, to this nomination. But I think that uh, this country is going to be uh, uh, will get more from her mm -hmm. uh, than uh, they bargained for because she is a uh, an outstanding uh, nominee. All right. Okay. So listen, I, I alluded to some of her treatment that she received during her hearings in the open. Uh, given how she was treated by Senators Cotton, Cruz, Pauley, and Graham, can you imagine anyone else with lesser credentials as a Black woman as a nominee such as Judge Michelle Childs, she's an excellent uh, potential candidate. You know, it was Congressman Clyburn's pick, remember? 
how he was yes. really pushing her. And even Lindsey Graham kind of pushed her. But I, I wonder, though, if they had chosen her with her non-Harvard pedigree, less experience, nobody's got what, uh, what she has in the in the thing nobody what would you what do you how do you think that she would have dealt with a, a miss uh, a judge childs or somebody would have dealt with such scrutiny at the hearings what i'll let you go Jonathan. well i actually think given and i and i hope you to, you're not catching a bunch of feedback i actually think that given the amount of issues, shall we say, that uh, Black women deal with every day. I don't think that it would have even made a difference as it relates to how her reaction would have been in relation to her qualifications. Because the reality of it is that if you are an African-American woman or a woman of color in general, in these United States, and you are able to ascend to certain levels, especially certain, shall we say, hallowed halls that it was never contemplated that we would ascend to, and for some, still don't believe that we are truly qualified to be there, then there is a certain amount of this, to put it politely, stuff mm -hmm. that we would we deal with every day so whether it was miss childs or anyone else mm -hmm. it, it would have just been a matter of shall we say personality in terms of how they would have reacted to the level of scrutiny the level of disrespect and questions because as i've had to say to some uh, people especially some of my white counterparts who will go oh my goodness, I just can't believe that this is going on. I can't believe that uh, Senator Cruz or any of these other individuals are saying what they're saying. Mm -hmm. My response, like many others, has been, that's just another Tuesday or it's just another Wednesday. So um, I think uh, the qualifications piece I don't think that any other black woman would have reacted any differently other than just your own personality or affect because to even get to that point, this stuff has already crossed their path in some form or fashion. Okay, okay, fair enough. At the law school, Professor Joyner, have you had an opportunity to unpack the hearings with any of your students or have other law professors been able to do that? Has that been an ongoing thing or was that or or whatever? T tell us what happened there. Well, quite frankly, students at, uh, at the law school are, are very excited, mm -hmm. uh, particularly the African-American uh, students uh, there uh, are very excited about uh, what uh, Judge uh, 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 Jackson brings to the uh, table and many several of them have been on the air uh, to uh, voice their support uh, and concern about the uh, about the process. Uh, I have not personally had a long conversation with uh, many of the students, but I know other faculty members uh, have 
uh, done so. And uh, they are very proud of the fact that uh, this, uh, this woman uh, who looks like them and who grew up in circumstances very similar uh, to, uh, to their own uh, was able to uh, elevate herself uh, from a uh, role of a public defender, uh, practitioner at a uh, law firm, uh, then to uh, judgeship uh, in the uh, District of Columbia, and then to the uh, circuit court uh, for the uh, District of uh, Columbia, uh, and that along the way she amassed an outstanding uh, record. And it uh, spoke highly of her, but also spoke highly of the uh, potential uh, for other African-Americans and underlined the point of the long-time exclusion of uh, people of color from, uh, from the court. And so those points were not missed. Uh, those were uh, things that uh, helped to elevate her status in the minds of, uh, of the students that she uh, caught hell coming up and she uh, was able to beat it all back. And uh, certainly when you look at her performance uh, in the uh, confirmation uh, hearing, uh, she certainly uh, glowed. Uh, she was not uh, crying and sniveling and begging uh, for more beer. Uh, as some uh, candidates have done uh, in, in the past, but she held her own and did not uh, back down from uh, her truth, uh, from her voice, and from the uh, uh, excellent uh, uh, experience that she had gained as being a, a judge in our judicial system. Jonda, what have your colleagues said about the hearings? Have you talked to any of your fellow colleagues about the, the hearings? your other justice sisters? Yes, I have definitely had the opportunity to uh, speak with colleagues about the hearing, mostly, of course, online, as I'm sure you have uh, lots of chatter on our various social media networks, as well as in the uh, in the courthouse just the other day, a few of us were off to the side, you know, whispering in, in our little group. Um, and yes, it's once again, despite not being surprised, that doesn't make it any less disturbing, especially when we know that most of what went on has, there's some of it that has to do with her, but a lot of it really doesn't have anything to do with her at all. There was a lot of political dog whistling that was going on with this. And being here in Virginia and seeing firsthand how well that worked, particularly in our recent gubernatorial race, Yes, it yes. really hit home even more for me because I saw it in action and saw how effective it could be. And now we are seeing it from the congressional level when they are supposed to be vetting someone to sit on the highest court in the land. And this someone, part of this vetting process, right, is to make sure that this someone can be impartial, can be non-political. Now, sadly, we know that the court has gone far astray from that. 
but that's at least what we are allegedly supposed to be doing. Now, when you consider that there is some some commingling of the separation of powers in this process from the president appointing to the government to the legislature confirming and then of course that person sitting on the judiciary then the least that we should be able to hope for that the reason you have that commingling is because of the other piece which is the checks and balances Mm -hmm. But when you see that this is being used, that not, well, not only is it the process political, even from the standpoint of having Democratic witnesses and Republican witnesses. So we already know the process is political beyond the fact that it's just the legislature. But again, in them using specific things, it makes it even worse because you see someone being treated with a lack of civility and a lack of respect regarding issues that are beyond her. And I don't mean beyond her as in her ability to understand her intelligence, but beyond her as in they would have used this stuff on any Democratic nominee for even, uh, I would venture to say, even if it were a white or male Democratic nominee, because that is just where we are right now in this country. But I do feel like, as uh, my colleagues and I discussed, there was an even further degeneration of that treatment because she was a Black woman and the overall lack of respect that comes along with that. Right, right. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to, as I was studying up for this um, conversation, I looked at the confirmation hearings for Amy Coney uh, Coney Barrett, and I also looked at uh, Justice Kavanaugh's. And (laughs) there's no comparison. Amy Coney Barrett. Ted Cruz asked her about what instrument she played, and she proceeded to discuss her piano playing days. And I'm trying to figure out what did that have to do with anything? And, you know, just- Well, you know, they might want her for a party. You know. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I mean, and, and, you know, it's funny that you bring up, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but it just, it, it's been bothering me because people keep tossing in the Justice Kavanaugh piece and goes, well, his situation got contentious. Let's be clear on why there it got contentious and still not like this, ironically. Mm-hmm. there It got contentious because he was accused of committing sexual assault upon multiple women. And by the way, those were white women who were his accusers. So don't bring us into it. Right, right. So of course it got contentious, but he still wasn't treated with a lack of respect. No, he was not. And I looked at the videotapes and then I even looked at, you know, it's funny, it only happened just maybe three years ago, but I looked at, the reason why uh, Dr. Ford brought it up, she brought it up when she heard that he was on the short list. And what happened was nothing happened on the short list. And then by the time somebody heard about it, then she got swept up into the whole shebang when he was already nominated and all of that. So it's just been no 
uh, difference at all. I mean, I mean, a huge difference in an unfair treatment that um, uh, Judge Katanji Brown Jackson has received. I have this um, last question for you guys before we go to um, our next topic. Was uh, uh, Professor Joyner? I'll go with you first. Essentially, what we heard from the Republican senators were their political theatrics to be used on the campaign trail for 2024. I'd like to know your thoughts on what you would tell a person voting. What I would tell a person voting? What would you tell? What would you? What advice would you have for somebody that's talking to you about man? they don't see the correlation. They don't understand what's going on. And that's the whole purpose of this channel. But what would you, how would you connect the dots for somebody, Professor Joyner? Well, in, in this particular instance, uh, to uh, help people to understand that uh, the votes that they cast for the individual who will be president of this country uh, plays a large, large role in who the nominee uh, for the uh, Supreme Court might be, because you never know when an opening will occur. In addition to that, uh, those individuals that they vote for to be uh, senators uh, in the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, uh, Congress uh, might be the ones that will make the decisions about uh, the confirmation of that uh, nominee. And you certainly want to know and understand what their uh, position is in the event uh, that a person comes before them uh, who is qualified, who's been nominated uh, for that position, how they will uh, respond. Uh, and you want to help them to understand the importance of their voice in making those selections of individuals who have, will have an ultimate decision uh, in, this, uh, in this matter. And the same thing at the state level. Uh, because you have uh, state Supreme Court ju judges and justices and uh, Court of Appeals judges and uh, local judges, and people need to understand the role that they play and then what it is that those individuals that, uh, might do that will end up with cases appearing before the U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. uh, because many of those things that happen at the local level with uh, local judges end up being the uh, focus of conversations and opinions from the uh, U.S. Uh, Supreme Court uh, to see if people down below are following the, uh, the dictates of the, uh, of the law. But what, what, I just want to just throw in another point, though, uh, since you're trying to close this down. Uh, one of the things that we expect from people who are questioning uh, and reviewing uh, justice, uh, potential justices for the U.S. Supreme Court is that they understand the process that they are dealing with. And clearly the uh, interrogators uh, who uh, were engaged in the political theater that uh, you just uh, made uh, reference to didn't even understand uh, the scope of the questions that they were raising. They raised questions for instance about or sentencing of people in child pornography cases, as if, uh, and, and, and every crime is serious, and I don't want to undermine the seriousness of them, uh, but uh, there's a distinct difference between child pornography and murder uh, on the seriousness scale 
uh, because with these child pornography cases, what you're talking about is someone viewing images, not mm -hmm. someone participating in some uh, sexual assault uh, upon someone. And uh, as you listen to Holly and Cruz and uh, Graham, you would think that that was the worst thing in the whole wide world to do. Mm -hmm. But it is something that many teenagers are regularly engaged in all over this country uh, today. And uh, when uh, Judge uh, 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 Jackson talked about this 18-year-old uh, that she was sentencing, that was the focus of it, it seemed that there was a disconnect mm -hmm. as to what it was that she was trying to do with her sentencing and how it complied with the sentencing rules and regulations that Congress had put in place, not that she had put uh, right. in place, and then how she was able to explain each consideration. But these uh, nuts didn't even understand that. Uh, <laughs> they didn't even know, because they have never participated in criminal proceedings uh, mm -hmm. in the uh, federal court where the federal guidelines are being uh, utilized. The federal so, guidelines they put in place. Right. right. And know, she so, kept repeating that to them. So you can't you can't you can't uh, educate a dummy <laughs> on how 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 the process is supposed to work because it is complex. It's not simple uh, as you work through uh, these uh, these guidelines. So many of the questions that they were raised were really out out of out of out of place mm -hmm. and evidence their lack of knowledge and ought to be something that condemned them rather right. than uh, their attempt to condemn. Uh, her for them. So that was, I kind of strayed away from the question that, uh, that but uh, that was just a burning response. I understand. Before I go to you, Janda, I want to ask everyone who is listening to this show, watching this show in the uh, on YouTube to please subscribe and hit the like button. Please, please, please help the algorithm help me grow this YouTube channel. Um, also, I have a, a um, John. I'm gonna let you go, and then I have um, a, 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 a person who is very, who's been very active in the show, um, Latrice Davis. I believe that wants to make a comment about this subject as well. So I'm gonna let you go first, John, and then I'm gonna bring Latrice up. She's one of our comment commentators in the audience. Okay, um, I actually concur with uh, everything Professor Joyner said. It really does come down to um, voter education. We have worked tirelessly, um, many of us, and the work still continues with getting individuals registered and understanding that they need to make sure their credentials are, are intact so that they can go to the polls. Now it is, we have to break it down even more because we know that these drives and all of this tend to go on around major elections. So we also have to kind of check ourselves a bit because in as much as we always complain that people only vote in major elections as opposed to their local elections, 
if you really think about it, the, those of us who are complaining about that, we perpetuate it because that the biggest voter drives, the biggest voter registration drives usually happen around the major elections. If you had that same level of uh, drive and uh, incentivizing uh, for your local elections, then those of us who are preaching to the choir on that, because that's really all we end up doing, then we reinforce the importance because we are making it important by making those drives there. And so once that piece is done, because again, that's work and, and we know if, if you're going to talk about it, you got to be about it, right? So once that piece is done, then you continue because it never stops with that education that Professor Joyner talked about. For instance, knowing what happens, just reiterating what he was saying, knowing what happens in your state as it relates to judges. Um, something as simple as the, just knowing the basic question, how many people do we really think if we called up the average person and asked, do you know if in your particular state are judges appointed or are they elected? I can guarantee you the average person probably doesn't know, even though if they are living in it, it, I would guarantee you that there are people who live in jurisdictions where judges are appointed, where are elected, and there was probably an election for a judge the week before, and they didn't even know. Mm, that right? So, right? And it's not just the judges, it is also the prosecutors. But this breaks down on the local level because... The judges, like in my state, in Virginia, they're appointed. So that, and they are appointed not by the, our state senator that goes to Washington, D.C., you know, the two senators that everybody gets and then your congressman and all of that. No, they are appointed by our House of Delegates, which I think is probably the case in most states that do appointments. They're by your state state level legislatures, legislators. So that means those state level senators and depending on where you live, they call them congressmen, delegates, representatives, whatever. Those little elections that tend to happen a lot, like sometimes every, every year, every other year, depending on how they're staggered, that makes those things even more important because when I say they appoint judges in my state, they appoint right down to the juvenile court judges, circuit court, general district court. Well, who do we think most of the time, you know, now we know there are some exceptions, right? But most of the time when things work the way they should, who do we think ends up on the court of appeals? Then the state Supreme Court, then right. the federal appeals court, and then ultimately the Supreme Court. These people who started right. out as local judges. That's so- right that seed that means that seed is already being planted early right. with these smaller elections right. but forget about what happens with the supreme court right what about when your the boy next door goes to court what kind of judges are, are is he going to be encountering for his first offense in court right 
Right. So these are things that are very, very important. Is it going to be somebody who was a lifelong prosecutor and just says, you know what, I'm just going to, they had, and they had a reputation for locking up every kid they saw as a prosecutor and wanting them charged as an adult, which means that when they're sitting on the bench, anytime that a prosecutor brings up a, a, a child before them looking to transfer them to adult court, they're going to have an inclination to do that. Well, since you weren't voting, you weren't paying attention that your local hang em high prosecutor just got put on the bench. Right. So right. these things start, we talk about the school board, we talk about all these yes. things, but even who ends up on the bench, your basic local level and people don't know. And I, I'm not beating up on people who don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But those right. of us who do know, we have a duty to make sure they know. Right, absolutely. Latrice had a little problem getting up here. I don't know. It looked oh, like I'm it sorry, Latrice. It looks like it was a technical issue, but we're going to get her in here one way or the other. And anybody else that wants to participate, feel free to chime in, you guys, in the chat or what have you. Now we're going to get on to part two of the of the show. Oh boy, we're going to talk about Jenny Thomas's twenty nine text messages. To Mark Meadows, Trump's former- 29 that we know of. Yeah, that we know of because, you know, um, Mark Meadows, uh, first he wasn't going to participate. Then he uh, then he did participate. He agreed and, and worked with everybody. I think he got a little scared and he gave them his text messages and then everything stopped from there. And so I, I, I just don't know. And, and then and there was the case. Which case? The, there was a case. They actually, they fought yeah, yeah, it yeah. to the Supreme Court. Yes. yes and interestingly did. enough, Judge Thomas, Thomas was the only dissenting vote. Yes, he was. And everybody I think he should have recused himself from that. He should have. But that's, here, here's my problem. It's nothing, I mean, an activist woman who happens to be married to a Supreme Court judge, nothing wrong with her having her own opinions. However, do you think she crossed the line, Professor Joyner? Did she cross the line? Did Jenny Thomas cross the line? Well, you know, that's a, that's a, a, a difficult question in, in, in the sense that in this country, whether you agree with what the person says or not, uh, there is this thing called the First Amendment. And mm -hmm. uh, it allows for all of us to, uh, to speak. Uh, she is in a unique position because her speech weighs more heavily than does the uh, speech of you and I, uh, because she is speaking in the ear of her husband, who is on the uh, U.S. Uh, Supreme Court. And the weight is on him. Uh, he is the one that has to make the, uh, the, the determination of whether he has a, uh, a bias or an interest or the perception of bias can be raised on his behalf. And it seems to me from uh, way down here in uh, something that uh, he should have recused himself from uh, mm -hmm. when the matter came before him in any matters related uh, to that. But, you know, when you look at these right wing politicians, no matter what their position is, mm -hmm. uh, there is a lot to scrutinize. Mark Meadows, for instance, uh, who in North Carolina, is under investigation for voter fraud. 
uh, for registering the vote in a location that he didn't even reside uh, in, a very illegal act where people have already gone to jail uh, for doing it. Here he was, the chief uh, administrator for the uh, ex-president, the former president of the United States, talking about uh, voter fraud. And then in the middle of all of that, he commits voter fraud. Uh, and then they act as if they are somehow now uh, running around with clean hands. Uh, that uh, what they do came down with Moses uh, from uh, <laughs> mountain and, uh, and, and, and is sanctified in some respect. But, uh, you know, this voter fraud, uh, it's a charade that is being perpetrated uh, on, on the people. And uh, he is in communication with uh, Thomas's wife. Uh, during the time that it is alleged and facts would show that he was participating in organizing people to go uh, to the uh, Capitol where this insurrection uh, occurred. So, you know, it's uh, uh, a strange cast of characters uh, that we have here that is engaging in acts that if you and I did it, we would be in jail. Under the jail under the jail. John, what do you what do you think? What do you say? Well, about I think the lack of I, code of ethics that Well, that absolutely. And I think that this more than anything and there's been some wonderful uh articles about this um uh, the New Yorker, The Guardian, The Washington Post, just some really great, uh, re even recent reporting, reporting that goes back even to January, talking about this because this highlights a concerning issue that the Supreme Court um, has been able to avoid, well, for its entire existence, that other judges in courts have to be held to, which is, a judicial code of conduct. You have a judicial code of conduct in place for courts on every level, including the, or the judicial code of ethics on uh, for every level, including the federal level, but not at the Supreme Court level. Mm -hmm. Supreme Court justices certainly are able to recuse themselves and uh, should do so if there is um, an interest of family members, but that is really the only one that they are required to recuse, family members and I think direct financial matters. But other than that, the primary code that other judges are held to they are not. And the thing that makes it even more concerning is, even though I am not a judge, most of us, especially those of us who are regular practicing attorneys, um, I still hold myself to that standard, and I think most good attorneys do, which is to avoid the even the mere appearance of impropriety. That is extremely important. And I know that that's what Professor Joyner was referring to as well. It's not just about whether there is impropriety. Nobody should, and this is what judges are, are held to, and Professor Joyner, please correct me if I'm wrong. Nobody has to run to the courthouse waving anything saying, this really is bad. I have proof that the judge is doing this and proof that the judge is doing that. The the Because of the sanctity of what is supposed to be those scales of justice, 
if the public sees it, the, and there is the possibility that when the public sees it, there is the mere appearance that there is a problem, a judge should remove themselves. So you, so essentially, a judge has to apply. Uh, and Professor Joyner, uh, correct me, please. I think pretty much an every man standard, right? Yes, thank you. In looking at it, not your own standard as a judge, but in every man on the street, would a man on the street look at this and say? Looks kind of shaky to me. That it is looks very opinion. shaky to me. That's now, and and in this case, absolutely, we have. When you really go through the muck and the mire of who is attached to who, how many individuals she has either represented, uh, they've come through her lobbying firm, or just all these other um, connections, if you will. When you have all of those different connections, there's a lot of, I get it, there's a lot of six degrees of separation, but some of those separations aren't six degrees. Some of those separations are like two or three. And in this particular situation, the most recent situation, um, there's no degree of separation. There is this individual who has the ear of someone on the Supreme Court who is who is you know being involved in this very serious political coup as far as I'm concerned let's call it what it is it was an insurrection it was an attempted coup whatever you want to call it that is what this was and this individual was involved in it and we know that the court recognizes the sanctity of the marital bed in terms of communication between spouses. The court understands, recognizes, and even respects the fact that individuals speak to their spouses. That's why marital privilege is, is a thing. That's right. So, we should we should automatically assume again the appearance of impropriety that these individuals talk if they don't well then that's y'all but <laughs> we you have to assume it yeah, yeah. i'm latrice is trying to get on here again so as soon as she gets on i'm gonna let her speak but professor joiner you're about to say something her thing is still twirl and she's trying to get on to, to ask okay. you guys something but go ahead Professor no, I, I was just going to throw in uh, with Attorney Scott that we're talking about the reasonable person uh, standard uh, that exists with the uh, with the judge's proactive uh, affirmative obligation to avoid uh, not only direct conflicts but the uh, the appearance of uh, impropriety uh, in the case. But what we have here is just another example of some people who hold themselves above the law and feel that the law does not apply to them because of the position and the uh, uh, posts that they hold and right. that their word and their actions uh, should go on without uh, scrutiny. But you wanted to let uh, Ms. Davis in, so I will end yes. my uh, right Latrice, there. Latrice, I'm trying to unmute your mic. Go, go un unmute your mic, Latrice. I tried to uh, unmute it. Can you hear, can, let me see. We're just having all kinds of technical. Latrice, can you hear me? 
Oh. No, she went off, but I was I was yeah. going to uh, piggyback on what Professor Joyner said um, about the rule of law not mm -hmm. being applicable or some individuals not feeling like the rule of law was applicable to them. Uh -huh. I think part of that, too, is you have, especially in the context of these text messages and, I'm and right the, here. I can hear you. situation, you have a situation where they individuals had been emboldened mm -hmm. for over four years. Well, yeah. uh, leading up to the uh, Trump presidency and then Trump presidency, mm -hmm. they had been emboldened. And unfortunately, my phone is probably about to die because of the school I'm in. So if I go out, you you understand why. I understand but why. in the meantime, it has been an absolute pleasure. And Professor Joyner, I so hope to speak with you again and hopefully even come down to visit. Love to have you and uh, great meeting you on this uh, on this program. Okay. Latrice, can you hear us? Now see, a while ago she was talking and she's saying the technology. Oh gosh. Oh, and she says, one thing she says as a former journalist, the appearance of a potential conflict of interest She's talking about what's going on with this um, this whole case, which is it, it's just appalling. And in fact, um, Woodward and I forget the other gentleman's name who broke this case about the text. Yes, message, he, Bob Woodward, Mr. Bob Woodward. Woodward, all over again. I mean, it's like he said they were just in shock <laughs> because the nature of what she was saying and her best friend and and both. Uh, I even heard an audio clip of um, Supreme Court Justice Thomas referring to her as, as his best friend, that's and that's right. how they refer to each other. Instead of honey and boo, they call each other best friends. So, I mean, Jenny was out in these streets being a whole Karen. <laughs> oh, I prefer to call them Beckys instead of Karen. I got too many girlfriends who are Karens, uh, you know, that I adore, so I call them Beckys. Yeah. Well, a prime example of uh, birds of a feather will flock together. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. And so just terribly unfortunate, especially at such an important time in our history when our systems are just running so. It, 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 it's just terribly unfortunate and, and certainly even in terms of teaching our, in terms of what this demonstrates to our kids about honor and integrity and the lack thereof. And the lack thereof. We have uh, one of With our- I'm going to say goodnight. I apologize. My phone's okay. dying. Okay. Good night, Jonda. Good night. Have, it was an absolute Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>